From Ramsey Network, this is The Fine Print, a show where we talk about the hidden truths that are keeping you broke. I'm George Camel, and in every episode, I do the research for you on the latest financial trends and traps to help save you time and money. This week, we're talking about a three-digit number that most Americans obsess over. Nope, not their weight. Although, I have thought about doing keto lately. It's a little heavy on the cheese, though. I'm talking about the infamous number that society has trained most of us to live and breathe by, the credit score. According to a recent survey from WalletHub, 87 million Americans say they are worried about their credit score due to the pandemic. And it's not without reason. We've all come to believe that having a good credit score is like having a golden ticket to all the finer things in life. I mean, if you have a good credit score, you're living large, right? Well... Actually, it probably means you're living largely in debt. Think about this for a second. Why do people try to improve and keep up with their credit score? That's right, to get approved for lines of credit and loans. Car loans, credit cards, mortgages, personal loans, you name it, they'll lend it, if you have the right score. On top of that, you've probably heard that your credit score can impact job opportunities, insurance rates, and your ability to rent. The leading credit score in the industry is FICO. And that number can range from 300 to 850. 850 being considered the best credit worthiness. I hate that word, credit worthiness, worthy of credit. Credit just means borrowing money. I want you to know you are worth so much more than credit. So the question we're gonna answer today is this. Is the credit score game a necessary evil that you have to play in order to live your financial life? You know, all this talk about credit scores reminds me of the 1939 classic film, The Wizard of Oz. Think of the journey to earning a good credit score kind of like trying to get into Emerald City. I mean, that city just looks like wealth, all glittery and green. And Dorothy and her gang think, man, if we could just get there, we could get everything our little hearts desire. But the yellow brick road to the perfect credit score is full of lions and tigers and bears and credit card debt and car payments and student loans. Oh, my. Oh, and that wonderful Wizard of Oz wasn't as wonderful as they thought. And I talked to a guy named Jim McGuire who experienced this firsthand. His Emerald City was called Silicon Valley. And when he moved there from Canada, he doubled his income overnight and started down that yellow brick road to find financial success. Well, take me back. Let's go back to to the olden days. Sure. You get to the United States, and now you've got all this money. Did you feel rich at that point? I felt rich. I felt surrounded by what was going on in Silicon Valley. You have to understand at the time in 2000, Friday afternoons on the campus of a tech company would be a a luau for the staff. If you stayed in the office past six, they catered your dinner. So I just went from from a small remote town in northern Canada to just surrounded by opulence, and all of a sudden, like all my colleagues, I'm carrying a Vente coffee from Starbucks in my hand into the office, paying five bucks for a coffee. That's the American dream. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, then on day one, I started to look at this and said, well, I got to have. So I went to a local credit union and said, I wanted to get a credit card. They said, well, you don't have a credit history because you don't exist to us. You come from another country. Well, how do I do this? Well, why don't we get you a loan? Why don't you go buy a car? Okay. <laughs> so now I could have paid cash, but I took out a loan and I carried the loan. Because of, they said you had to establish your credit history, and so you went, well, I've got the cash, but I should do this on a loan, so I have credit history. Exactly, and it seemed absolutely logical at the time. 
you're talking to a guy whose title is electrical engineer, who's a, supposed to be a pretty smart guy who can do numbers. And I'm looking at that saying, that's just the smartest thing to do. How else am I going to get a good credit score if I don't take out this loan? So I did. So wh- where did this come from? This idea of like, I need to have credit history. I need to have a credit score. Where was the first time you heard that? Well, that's a great question because obviously Canada is not such a foreign country that we don't have credit scores and we don't have credit bureaus. It just really wasn't important to me in the life I was living there. But when I'm suddenly in the excess of Silicon Valley, surrounded by folks who are literally buying a BMW and cashing out stock options and and going on fabulous vacations, it was, you got to spend. And the only way to spend, you got to have that diners club card with a high limit so you can afford to buy the thing you want to buy. And of course, I could justify it by having an income of that level, which was you know, radically more than what I was used to having. It just all seemed to make sense at the time. So you didn't go into debt because you didn't have money. You went into debt to keep up with the game. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. It was a car loan followed by a credit card, followed by a branded credit card. Then the company's having me travel for them, and I could use my own credit card. So it's, well, let's get a hotel-branded credit card and an airline-branded credit card. And so all of a sudden, I've got all these cards. End of the first month comes, somebody doesn't reimburse me the expense check. Ah, it's a couple bucks of interest, plus it's good for my credit score. Let's just carry that next month. Wow. So your, your process was, I'll get the points, and it will help my credit score, so why not? Yeah, absolutely. Just to keep your score up. Well, you know, it it wasn't that it was so much. You know, it was probably a $10,000 car loan. It was probably in the thousands of dollars carried on credit cards. It was totally manageable in my income. But in hindsight, it was cutting interest payments to a group of people for absolutely no reason. And that was a light bulb that turned on one day. Yeah, so what was that day where you went, why am I doing this? My company was purchased by another company when I was moved from the Valley into the Chicago area and finally had the chance to buy a house for the first time. Um, I get to the, the suburbs of Chicago. I can afford a house. Now I'm looking at the numbers. Now I'm looking at cash flow. I need every dime I can if I want to afford to pay a reasonable mortgage payment. And I'm starting to ask myself questions. Why am I paying this? Why am I paying that? I do not want to be paying anybody a dime of interest because every one of those small interest payments I'm carrying to build a credit score just can go in towards my ordinary cash flow, make life easier. So somewhere in that process of kind of wanting to take the next step, but it was kind of a, okay, the Silicon Valley party is over. It's time to start paying more attention to this and, and be intentional with what I do. Like Jim, you've probably been told at some point that you need to build your credit score. In fact, according to the Q1 State of Personal Finance Research Study done by Ramsey Solutions, 77% of Americans believe that a high credit score means you are good with money. And in that same study, people said that building credit is one of the top three reasons they use a credit card, right behind earning rewards and being able to cover emergencies. Now, we've tackled the whole issue of credit card rewards in our second episode of this show. And as far as emergencies go, we covered the importance of building an emergency fund for yourself in episode three. So that leaves that big old elephant in the room, building your score. To dig into that, let's talk about what a credit score is actually made up of. What's interesting to note here is that credit reporting companies like FICO and Experian are pretty tight-lipped with exactly how they come up with your three-digit number, which is pretty sketchy in itself. But here's what we do know goes into account when calculating your credit score. Keep up with me here. 35% is based on your debt history. That's how much you've borrowed over the years. 
30% is your current debt level. That's how much you owe right now. 15% is how long you've been in debt. 10% is any new debt you've acquired in the last 12 to 18 months. And the final 10% is based on the type of debt you have. That could be student loans, car payments, or that Amazon Rewards Prime card. Listen, I know that 5% cash back and two-hour delivery is tempting, but please don't go into debt for Jeff Bezos. The last thing that guy needs is more money. He already has that $185 billion net worth as I say the sentence. Oh, make that 184. He just went to space. It ain't cheap. All jokes aside, did you catch a common theme about how your credit score is calculated? It's based entirely on your relationship with debt. It doesn't even consider how much you make, how much money you have saved, or how well you budget every month. The way the credit score works, a 20-year-old who's making minimum wage at a fast food joint could have a better score than a 50-year-old who's making six figures in Silicon Valley. That seems filet fishy to me. Or how about this? You could wake up tomorrow and find out a long-lost relative died and left you a million dollars. You'd be a millionaire, right? And your net worth would skyrocket but your credit score wouldn't budge an inch. Are you starting to see why the credit score is not the best scoreboard for your financial life? The only way to get a good credit score, and I'm not making this up, is to go into debt, stay in debt, and continually pay off those debts perfectly without adding or paying off too much. If a good credit score is the Emerald City, then the credit reporting companies are like the sleazy Wizard of Oz hiding behind the curtain. And they have you believing in this almighty number that will grant you all of your wishes. But as it turns out, it's all smoke and mirrors. So consider me Dorothy's little dog, Toto. Here to pull back that curtain so you can see that the credit score is just a way for these companies to get you deeper into a web of debt and yet ingeniously get you to believe you're doing great with money. Take this recent study from Experian. They're one of the top dogs in the credit reporting world. And they found that the average FICO score hit an all-time high in 2020 with the average consumer at 670 or higher. FYI, anything above 670 is considered a good score in the eyes of the credit wizards. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember a whole lot of people feeling like they were winning with money in 2020, except maybe Jeff Bezos. Most normal human Americans were panicking and stressing about finances, and yet most of them were increasing their credit scores. You know what else was increasing? How much debt those Americans were in. Yep, all those credit scores went up because Americans were taking on more and more debt. Experian says the average total debt balance reached nearly $93,000. Yikes. So now that these people are up to their eyeballs in debt, they're rewarded with the Credit Wizard stamp of approval. A good, very good, or perfect credit score that tells the world, don't worry, you can trust me to take on more debt. Is it just me, or is this starting to sound like pyramid scheme levels of scam going on here? There's got to be a better way to prove to the world you're financially responsible. And there is. You know what's better than having a good credit score? Having no credit score. And no, we're not talking about having a credit score of zero, because that's scientifically impossible. The National Foundation for Credit Counseling says the lowest score they've ever seen was 425. And that poor guy or gal had already declared bankruptcy and was delinquent with several creditors. Having no credit score just means you have no credit history. When I paid off all of my debt years ago, my credit score became indeterminable, which is a $10 word to say non-existent. I became invisible in the eyes of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. And in this case, being invisible is a good thing, like a cool superpower. 
Very different from the cloak of invisibility, which I had in high school when it came to girls noticing my existence. And these invisible people are all around us. According to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, roughly 26 million Americans are credit invisible. One of the biggest reasons people want to stay visible to the credit bureaus is to become a homeowner. You probably know that most mortgage companies use your credit score to decide if they're going to loan you a whole bunch of money and what your interest rate will be. But there's a way to buck this system that's way more common than you might think. To give you the skinny on this, I talked with a mortgage pro named Seth Bellis, who works at a company called Churchill Mortgage. Now, as a disclaimer, let me tell you that Churchill Mortgage has been an advertiser with our company, Ramsey Solutions, for over two decades now. And Seth is a home loan specialist who helps credit invisible folks get approved for mortgages all the time. So, Seth, you're a home loan specialist. What would you say to the people who feel like they've got to get that credit score They've got to use that credit card all the time to get a home loan. I think that there are a lot of misconceptions just around financing and, and money in general. Whenever I'm talking to clients about credit scores, because, you know, even if we don't recommend them, a lot of people come to us and they do have one. And it, it really is like a game. It's like a giant game that's been created. And if you don't play the game correctly, then the the myth is you're going to be penalized, right? Like if you don't if you don't have a great credit score, you're going to take a hit and you're not going to be able to buy a house or you're not going to get a good interest rate or you're not going to be able to be able to close because it's going to be so complicated to go through this manual underwriting process. And I talked to clients, I actually talked to two people earlier today, I can't even make this up, and they had been given information from other lenders basically saying, hey, here's what you got to do to establish a credit history. They'll call me a couple months after they've opened up a credit card and say, hey, this lender told me to do this. And I was like, no, you know, like I wish... I wish that we had talked before you talked to them because I could have saved you, you know, having to feel like you got to go down that road in order to get a loan. So a lot of it is education, you know, and just the lack of of opportunities that are available. We've kind of accepted, I think, as a general, as the finance industry, that credit scores are just a part of everything. And you do not need to have a credit score uh, to buy a house. And the no score loan process uh, uses manual underwriting, which you mentioned there. So walk us through that process. What does it mean to do manual underwriting and what's entailed in it? Because a lot, there's a lot of mythology around it and people get scared saying, oh, it's, it's so much. It's insane. It's impossible. There's so much work involved. Yeah. For us, manual underwriting really just means that if you don't have a credit score, we have to defer to our manual underwriting process. So basically what that entails is really just proving that you have some bills that you're responsible for as a borrower that you pay regularly. So this could be things like your insurance that you pay on your car, it could be your cell phone bill, could be your rent that you're paying you know, to, on your apartment lease, something along those lines. So really in a manual underwrite, the only difference in what we need to collect really are they're just these trade lines that we're using to establish what we call a non-traditional credit history. So basically we're saying we don't need a credit score to determine your ability to pay back a mortgage, but we do need to prove that you have the ability to make payments on bills that you have outstanding at that time. Wow. It's like the olden days, you know, before you had all these fancy credit scores and and online loans, the bank looked at your real financial picture and said, oh, okay, here's your income from your steady job. 
oh, okay, here's all the bills that you're regularly paying. Sure, here's a loan that we know you'll pay back. And I went through a, a process where I used a no-score loan product. But talk to me about the, the other side, which is a bad credit score. Because we tell people, hey, you don't need a credit score. But there is a difference between having no credit score and a bad one. You're right about that. When you have a bad credit score, that means that you have a history of not only have you taken on debt, but you have also likely not made payments on that debt in a timely fashion. And so unfortunately, if you're in a position where you know you, you have a bad credit score, then what we have to work through is is getting rid of any of that outstanding debt, whether it's collections or you know bills that just need to be made current. And then once those are made current or those are satisfied over time, your credit score will will disappear and you won't have that negative score that that you're worried about anymore. And uh, it's interesting, people out there, they maybe are working on that credit score because they know they want to get in a house and it's part of, of, you know, adulting, right? So what advice would you give to someone who's wanting to buy a house and they're worried about their credit score? Then, you know, I would just encourage you to, you know, like if you're listening to this as a consumer, we just want to make sure that your debt to income ratios are, you know, at 25% of your take home pay, you know, that's what we want you to spend on your total monthly housing expense. We want to make sure that you have significant cash reserves. And so that way you have an emergency fund that you can fall back on if you need to, for whatever reason. And then we also want to make sure that um, you make all of your payments on time on all the bills that you have due. So as long as you do those things on a regular basis, um, you can get a mortgage, a pretty good interest rate on a 15 year loan. So that's a lot of what we're trying to coach people on on the front end is saying, Hey, you know, pay all your bills, save money and keep your keep your overall you know out of pocket expenses as low as possible because that means you're the most likely to be approved for a house. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot about really being responsible with money. Make sure your bills are paid, make sure you're saving as much as possible, be patient and none of that involves make sure your credit score is nice and high. This is a game that, you know, that people feel like we have to play. I'm always watching my credit score. Oh, it went up 10 points. It went down 10 points. What did I do differently or what can I do differently? And it feels almost like as a American, when it comes to finances, if you don't take your credit score and put that at the top of your priorities, you're doing something wrong. And it's like, wait a minute, what about making money or investing or not spending more than what you have? Like, Shouldn't those be the principles that we live off of instead of making credit scores kind of our number one priority? So there you have it. If you're in the market for a new home, you don't need a credit score. Now, maybe you're not ready for home ownership and you're renting right now. A lot of apartments and landlords may run your credit score to see if you'd be a reliable renter. But that score may not be as vital as you think when it comes to renting. To get to the bottom of it, I did the research for you and called a whole bunch of places across the country to ask about renting without a credit score. I called up Austin, Texas. This is Emiliano. How can I help you? Hey, this is George Collin. I'm just doing some apartment research right now, but I don't have a credit score. Is it worth applying with you guys still? You don't have a credit score? Yes. Yeah, I just don't have any debt, and so uh, it leaves me with kind of an indeterminable credit score is what they call it. Got it. Um, I mean, it really just depends. It, it could clear you or it could approve you with additional deposit. Okay. So you're saying either it goes through just fine or I can get through. It just might require uh, an additional deposit? Correct. If we're just going based off the credit, but it is going to go based off income credit and, and criminal background as well. Cool. What would the deposit okay. be? Do you know? Oh, uh, 
it would range anywhere from 500 to 1000 Okay, so 500 to to 1000 bucks, and I'd get that back as long as there's no damages when I leave the apartment. Correct. Okay. Well, that's great news. Okay. Thanks. Have a good day. New York City. Property management. Hey, this is George calling. I had a quick question for you. I'm just doing some research on apartments in the area, but I was wondering if I can apply if I don't have a credit score. Yeah, you can. It's it's kind of based on credit and income. So that's not a problem to apply. It's just sometimes we have to tell you you have to get a cosigner. No credit's not as bad as bad credit. What happens if I did have a, a low credit score, for example? Um, it just depends because we overlook things like medical and education loans, but we just don't overlook, um, you know, if you're not paying your cell phone bill, you're not. Ah, uh, okay. So your normal bills, you're like, hey, if you can't pay that, you're not paying your rent. But if you've got right. some medical bill situation or big student loan, you know, there's things yes. that you could overlook. Okay. Yes. And down the road here in Franklin, Tennessee. Hey, Blake, I saw a listing on Zillow uh, for a property for rent. That's correct. And I'm just doing some research on some places to rent. But I'm wondering, do you take applications if I don't have a credit score? Uh, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't have any debt. And, you know, some places require you to, to submit that as part of the process. But because I don't have any debt, it makes things a little more complicated, funny enough. Yeah, I mean, as long as you have the income to produce it, a clear background check, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to work with you. So. so as long as I have a job and I'm not a criminal, you're like, all right, cool. Pretty much, yeah. Now, maybe you don't live in a big city. Maybe you live in a small town like, I don't know, Greenfield, Indiana. <laughs> well, good news for you, because I also happen to call up an apartment complex in little old Greenfield. Thank you for calling apartments. This is Nebby. How can I help you? Hey there, my name is George. I was just curious. I'm doing some apartment research and I found you guys and I'm wondering if I can apply there if I don't have a credit score. If you don't have a credit score? Yeah, is that something that you guys check for in the uh, application process? We do, but do you, um, do you, are you employed? Yes. Okay, you should be fine. It just might come up with a little higher deposit um, based on the fact that you have no trade lines. Yes, that makes sense. Okay, okay. I, I had heard sure. a myth from friends that you know you needed a, a high credit score to rent an apartment and all this stuff, but I don't do debt, so I didn't know if I could still rent with you guys. <laughs> <Our> man. <laughs> do you know what that de- higher yep. deposit is? Um, it would probably be $1,000 because it would show our, our normal deposit on a complete pass is 500 but with no trade lines, um, they look at it as being a little bit higher of a risk. Sure. Um, because there's no credit out there. And so they would um, make it conditional. It would come back conditional with an additional $500 deposit. So if I'm hearing you right, I just need to pay, I would pay an additional $500 more than someone who had a credit score. Um, yes. we The deposit would come back to you as long as there were no damages on the apartment. Awesome. Well, this has been super helpful. I appreciate that. I'll follow back up. All right, then. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great day. Whew. I am worn out. That's a lot of phone calls for a millennial to make in one day. But it was worth it to prove to you that you don't need a credit score to rent an apartment. You just need to make sure you have enough money to cover the security deposit and potentially first and last month's rent. And as Seth Bellis taught us, you don't need a credit score to buy a house either, thanks to no score loans and manual underwriting. I know housing isn't the only reason people hang on to their credit score for dear life. There's other areas that we need to look at when it comes to your score, mainly transportation. 
Let's talk about cars for a second. You only need a credit score to buy a car if you're taking on a car loan. But as it turns out, you can save up and pay for cars in cash. At Ramsey, we recommend buying a reliable used car and saving up monthly until you can afford it in cash. Money talks. And if the salesperson is listening, you can absolutely pay with a check straight from your bank account and avoid years of payments. Aside from buying a car, you might also need to rent one. And wouldn't you know it, most car rental companies allow you to rent with a debit card and no credit score. Just make sure you have enough money in your travel budget for any temporary holds they might debit from your account. And call ahead to find out the specific policy with that rental company. The same thing applies to getting a hotel room. And to be clear, these aren't theories and fairy tales. I've done all of these things myself, and so can you. You don't have to learn it the hard way like our friend Jim did, who you heard from earlier. After basking in the opulence of Silicon Valley, his words, not mine, and sipping on $5 venti lattes, he realized the path to financial success was going to take intentionality and focus, not a three-digit number. You're right. I was literally chasing the concept of a score. You know, again, in hindsight, I want someone to judge my worthiness, even though I have the money. I have the cash flow. I've got the money in the bank to make the payment, but I'm watching it on TV. I'm seeing it everywhere saying, but I have to have a high score. I better go you know, log onto that website, and check my score and make sure it's good. You know, all it takes is one mislabeled envelope with a bill in it for it to be a late payment to ding your credit score. And it was beyond your control. Now, gosh, my credit score may have gone down. Do you think people's worth, their value, their metric of success is tied to their credit score? Yeah, definitely. I did it. And I'm, I'm certain too many other people tie their identity to it. So talk to me about the day you said, all right, I'm done with the credit score game. What did you end up doing from there? Um, so it was a two-part thing, and it was one of these, I'm not carrying debt. So that step one said, pay stuff off, no more interest. And I did some math. I started to calculate out how much I was giving in interest and just made a personal vow. I'm not doing that again. Mm, that'll make you angry. Anytime you do math and figure out how much money you're throwing away, not just to your payments, but to the lenders on top of that through interest. Yeah. And if you really want to disappoint yourself, go back and do some historical math and count it up over the years and just say, for the sake of what did I give away thousands of dollars? You know, I had the resources to buy that used Saturn that I bought, but I decided I had to finance it to get that credit score and you know, made a payment of, of a few hundred dollars a month versus just paying for it and having that few hundred dollars a month in my cash flow. Mm. What you can do when you have money. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. So 21 years later, since you moved, where are you at now financially? Uh, well, that's a, it's, a, it's a huge success story. There's, uh, there's not been annual fees paid out to credit card companies for many, many years, which is a great thing. Um, had the opportunity five years ago with my wife to purchase a vacation home which we put all of our resources together and paid cash for it. So I now actually have a fully paid for home and a fully paid for vacation home. And would you attribute that to that light bulb moment where you said no more games? 100%. I can sit and do the math and I can, you know, pull a spreadsheet up in front of everybody and say, here's what the cash flow looked like. Here's how much it cost on a basis to save this money. Here's $400 over here going off to payments. Well, what if that $400 goes directly into me, into a fund that we bank up 
So when that, that small condo comes available and we want to put a bid on it, we've got the money for it. You know, that was, it was directly attributed to, you know, and I've given my wife a ton of credit on this one. We have very similar viewpoints on spending and saving. And we were able to come into this as a debt-free operation. No pun intended that you give her credit. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. So what would you tell someone who, who's out there listening going, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's Jim's story. That's not me. I need to have my credit score. Yeah, you know, that's what somebody else is telling you. I guess if I was just talking to myself as Joe Average back when I was 30 years old and this whole process started, it's like, who's telling me this? And I'm sorry, anybody that's telling you where my money goes probably wants some of my money. Uh, the, the only person who shepherds and guides my money the way I want it is me. If somebody's guiding me into a decision about how many points I should carry or what my interest rate should be, that's because they want a share of it. And I just think if you really get logical and disconnect that emotional thing and say, no, no, control it, manage it yourself. Beautifully said, Jim. You are living life on your terms, and I appreciate you sharing your story of that light bulb moment that made you say no more games, no more rat race, no more credit scores, no more debt. It's paid off for you. It's possible to do just about everything without a credit score. You just need to make a plan for your money, take debt off of the table, and decide to buck the system altogether. When you start dumping debt and paying for everything with cash, you'll be well on your way toward building actual wealth. By the way, if you're really interested in buying a home without taking on scores of debt, pun intended, we have a free mortgage calculator you can use. All you have to do is plug in some easy numbers and voila you'll see exactly what your options are based on your actual budget and bank account, not your credit score. To check it out, just text Fine Print 7 to 33789. That's Fine Print followed by the numeral 7, all one word, to the number 33789. Or just click the link in the episode show notes. You've been listening to The Fine Print. If you enjoyed it, subscribe, follow, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts and share it with a friend who needs to hear this. Our show is produced by Chris Wright, Eric Cheslevich, and Chris Dean. Our associate producer is Amanda Rogers. This episode was engineered and mixed by Will Rudder. Special thanks to Christina Zagami for help with writing and research. Our executive producer is Blake Thompson. I'm George Camel, and remember, if a high credit score is what winning looks like, then call me a loser. Actually, you know what? Don't call me a loser. That takes me back to dodgeball in middle school. And you know, credit scores and dodgeball have something in common. They're both anxiety-inducing games where people get hurt. Fine print listeners, we want to hear from you. Yeah, you. If you've got a story of falling for a money trap, believing a money myth, or not reading the fine print, give us a call and tell us all about it. You can call us at 855-855-5776. That's 855-855-5776. Or you can always email us at thefineprint at ramseysolutions.com. And to make life easy for you, we've got all that info in the episode show notes.